Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. All right, this is the first episode of this podcast, and I am very excited about this moment and thrilled you are listening. My initial goal for this podcast is to release two to three episodes a week, um, and that may increase in frequency depending on the success of this podcast, or I may just lengthen the episodes. This first one's only going to be about 30 minutes. Um, Maybe they'll stretch eventually to 45 or an hour. Not sure. We'll just see how it goes. But all I know is that I'm excited, and I've wanted to put my voice out there for a long time, and now I'm getting the chance to do that. I initially tried to get my voice out there on Twitter, but turns out that it is a little bit more difficult than I expected to get a following on Twitter. I've been on Twitter for five years now, and in those five years, I have 121 followers. Yeah, fail. But that's cool, because now I'm here with a podcast, and I want to thank you guys again already for tuning in and listening. Since this is the first episode, I do want to take a few minutes to share with you the reason why I created this podcast, and then we'll get into the episode's topic. So to start, I'm a 90s kid. The 90s were my elementary and middle school years, and I have the fondest memories of that time. I loved my childhood. Maybe that's how the brain works, or my brain works at least. Don't remember too much of the bad and thankfully remember a whole lot of the good. I remember growing up with a great family, neighbors, and friends. I remember playing outside and inside, swimming in the neighbor's pools, playing my video games, (laughs) my friend's video games down the street. I had an N64. My best friend down the street had a Nintendo, an NES, and the PS1. Uh, Another neighbor of mine had the Super NES. And then a neighbor of mine a couple blocks over had the Sega Genesis. So I was set. I also remember the school field trips, school talent shows, and then the extracurriculars I was involved in, like football, basketball, baseball, soccer, swimming, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. And that sounds like I had everything. But trust me, I didn't always. But my parents did do everything they could to give me a great childhood, and I believe they succeeded. As a kid, growing up in the 90s, I was sheltered from what was going on in the world. And I think that every kid, or we should strive to make it that way for every kid, to the greatest extent possible. You are only innocent for so long, and I think we need to protect that innocence whenever possible. I wasn't exposed to the news really until middle school. For a class of mine, I had to turn on the news. I remember turning on CNN headline news, and we had to pick out three stories. Um, Everyone in the class had to do it. You couldn't really communicate amongst yourselves, though. Um, So you had to kind of pick some more nuanced stories and then some popular stories, and then once a week, bring it back to the class, go around in a roundtable and discuss, and no one was allowed to discuss the same point regarding a piece of the news. And my teacher called that current events. But I don't even really remember too much of what we reported on. I remember some of the bigger things that, I guess, happened in those years. Um, 
but I don't remember anything that I watched on the news really sticking with me. Thankfully, uh, there wasn't any kind of negative effect that I can remember on myself. I just did my homework and, and that was it. Politically speaking, since I mentioned that uh, in the outset, elementary and middle school were the Clinton years. Uh, my high school and college undergrad years were the Bush W years. And graduate school and a young professional were the Obama years. I know growing up around that time, culturally, there was VH1 and MTV, numerous sitcoms. You had Seinfeld and Friends, uh, major motion pictures, and then the start of the dot-com era. And in sports which was my first true love, or maybe you could still say where my love really lies, the 90s had the Bulls dynasty, the Yankees dynasty, which should have been the Atlanta Braves dynasty. I'm a Braves fan through and through, but you got to be able to hit in the clutch. And then, of course, in the NFL, there was the Cowboys dynasty. And you guessed it, I'm a millennial, but don't call me a millennial. I prefer Gen Y. And we can talk about that later on a whole other episode. I get pretty worked up about it. All right. So back to the reason for this podcast. Over the course of those three presidencies, I would describe my interest in and my involvement with politics, media, and culture as passive. I voted in every election since I turned 18. I was aware of major issues but didn't dwell on them, and I didn't speak up about any issues. I just kind of watched from afar. I was more so focused on whatever was going on in my life at the time, whether that was school, girlfriends, hanging out with friends, work, and then play. And then that all changed when 2016 happened. I followed that 2016 election season intensely. I joined Twitter with zero followers, just so I could follow the candidates and the pundits to be knowledgeable about what was said and the issues. I watched the debates. I went online to YouTube and would watch full, full on candidate speeches. Um, I don't know really what possessed me to do that. I guess it was just wanting to know more and uh, never did that before in my life. Probably would never would have thought in 2015 I would have even done that in 2016, but I did it. Um, and then on election night, I even stayed up until 3 a.m. on my couch while my wife was asleep in the, in the bedroom just a, a stone's throw away until the media pronounced the winner. 2016 gripped me like it did, I think, because for the first time it felt like the United States I experienced growing up was disappearing. And if Hillary Clinton had become president with a congressional majority, the United States would take a turn for the worst. Now hold on. For those of you that joined that maybe don't share my political beliefs, please stay tuned in for the rest of this episode and all the other ones after this. The United States, I felt, would take a turn for the worst. But since then, I followed the national news like never before. My daily distractions are no longer sports, and for any of y'all who may be listening that knew me growing up, especially in high school and college, you would know how big sports was in my life. I mean, I went to college and didn't just get a bachelor's degree in sports. I stayed and got a master's degree in sports, sports management to be exact. I wanted to have a career in sports. That's how much I love sports. But now it isn't sports articles that I read. I don't sit down and watch ESPN or surf ESPN.com for hours on end like I used to. I'm searching the internet and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos all in the name of national news and politics. Now, why is all this important? It's all important because this first episode, this podcast, the reason for it, it is me saying that I am joining the battle to restore America to its conservative ideals 
and the wholesomeness that it once had. My consumption of and the attention to today's national news has inspired me to have my voice heard. But I'm not going to be another loudmouth with outlandish takes to get views, listeners, and clicks. I will provide rational, logical, and truthful opinions in today's stories in the national news, politics, and culture. Whether you agree with me or not, I hope you finish this episode and continue to come back. Not trying to divide, I'm just trying to be heard and want to have a dialogue. All right, now that I got that out of the way, let's dive into the topic of this episode, which is the lack of personal responsibility from those with power. Now tell me, have you ever noticed how much people with power, how much they can actually get away with? And this applies across the board, regardless of industry or political party. It's incredible. Most people say it's attributed to money. I agree with that. You have money, you get in trouble, you can shut people up if you want to. People will say it just comes from a position you hold. Not necessarily dollar figures, but a position you hold within a company or within politics. I agree with that too. But it is just incredible how much power we give to people. So I went to dictionary.com and looked up the definition of power. There's about, I think, 15 different definitions, but three of them stood out to me. One definition of power is the possession of control or command over people. Another definition is a person or thing that possesses or exercises authority or influence. And a third definition is the capability of doing or accomplishing something. You see, people with a great amount of power have it because that power was given to them. However, it's that third definition that tells me, tells us, that we, all of us as individuals, have power, no matter our societal stature. But then that begs the question, why are so many of us so quick to give our power away and allow others to have control, command, or influence over us? Remember, power is gained from what is given. And there are various types of power. Some examples are financial power, physical power, and emotional power. This is compounded by the fact that some of the people we give power to are the people most of us will never even meet or have any interaction or a friendship with. Think of all the people you follow on your social media accounts. How many of them are celebrities or influencers or athletes or politicians? And how many of those have actually responded to something you have tweeted at them or tagged them in? I would guess very few. But we prop them up. We prop them up for sure. I do. Uh, let's see here. Um, this is embarrassing, but... One of my favorite basketball players liked one of my one of my replies to his tweet and I was so hyped up about it that I screenshotted that like so I'd have a receipt, a record of it. And then I texted it to a few of my buddies who also love that basketball player just to rub their nose in it. This is a byproduct, this power that we give to people we don't know is a byproduct of social media. Individuals, you and I, others are giving up our own power to those that we truly don't know and we'll follow them like sheep. We give it to celebrities, athletes, influencers, politicians, maybe someone who, a head coach or something like that for your favorite sports team, the favorite athlete on your sports team, an influencer that you maybe model your style of clothing after, who knows? And I see that there's a phenomenon going on. Since we like the athlete, we like the celebrity, we like the influencer, we like the politician, we agree with them. And we believe 
that if we ever met them, they would like us, you know, like consider us a friend. And that would validate the power that we give to them. Be like, oh, well, I've met them. They were nice to me. So I'm going to trust what they say. They're my friend or I consider them a friend. And friends, we can trust them. And we put these people that aren't our friends in positions of power. And then we believe that they wouldn't dare abuse this power that they have to the detriment of others or to the detriment of us, just like our friends wouldn't and shouldn't abuse our trust. I'm sure you've heard it before. With great power comes great responsibility. I believe Voltaire said that first. But let me ask you, can you recall a time when someone with large amounts of power or influence suffered negative personal consequences for harmful or irresponsible behavior? And if you can, how long was that person able to get away with it before they actually suffered these consequences? How many people did they influence positively or negatively with this power before they were quote-unquote caught? If you couldn't think of anyone, it's because it never seems to happen. And in this day and age, what typically happens is a tweet is deleted or a statement is made that shifts the blame. That's it. That's all you get. That's the quote, responsibility. A consequence of this is reinforcement and encouragement of the behavior, which will lead eventually to even more and or severe occurrences. It's the give an inch and they'll take a mile mentality. Just like with a child. A child tests limits all the time to find the boundaries of what is acceptable and what isn't. And if the parents or the guardian of that child never sets a boundary or a limit, the child will continue to push that limit. And because followers or supporters have given their power away to that influential or powerful person, what deterrent is there for their behavior to stop? What's worse is that many in the media support that behavior of the celebrity, of the influencer, or the influential person, because doing so benefits and enriches them, or their political party, or their company, or the individual that they're defending. And this is done too many times with no regard for the public viewer. And for the reasons I stated earlier, supporters nod in agreement. Like, yes, yes, applause, applause, applause. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yes, 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 I do. And most of the time, we never stop to think about what it is that we are agreeing to and whether or not what, what we're agreeing to is actually true. It's crazy. Instead, we shirk our individual responsibility to fact check and think for ourselves. This is a dangerous phenomenon when something said by someone powerful and influential is reckless. And I get it. Sometimes we let those people get away with it because we're, we're busy. Life is busy. I'm busy. You're busy. Or maybe we're just apathetic. We don't care. You know, it's whatever until it shows up on our doorstep and affects us in that way. You know, it's no big deal. We don't care. Or maybe we're just lazy. And we're just going to consume and then spit it out for more people to see. And one of the most recent examples of this is by LeBron James. Two weeks ago, the Derek Chauvin verdict was handed down. That was on Tuesday, April 20th. The former Minneapolis police officer was convicted of murder for the death of George Floyd. And the nation leading up to that verdict was on edge for three weeks during that trial. Cities were preparing for riots to happen if Derek Chauvin was not convicted of murder. I think there even would have been riots in certain areas if he just got manslaughter. And when the verdict came down and convicted him of murder, there was like a sigh of relief and celebration. Celebration that some form of justice was served and a sigh of relief by others because the riots did not occur to destroy businesses and other property in various major cities around the country. But what did LeBron do when that verdict came out? LeBron James tweeted to his 50, 5 50 million followers, quote, all caps, accountability, 
And then, just so happen, happens, that same day in Columbus, Ohio, news comes out that a 16-year-old girl named Makia Bryant was shot and killed by a police officer. And LeBron caught wind of this. I'm assuming he rushed to judgment in his next tweet about that to his 50 million followers, which, by the way, isn't even the most on Twitter, but 50 million. That's in between one-sixth and one-seventh of the entire United U.S. population. He tweeted in response to that uh, shooting and killing of Makia Bryant, quote, all caps, your next hourglass emoji, hashtag accountability. And he tweeted that along with a picture of the police officer's face. Now, I hope LeBron did that because he reacted too quickly and he had not seen or knew all the information. Because if he had seen the video and gathered all the information and then tweeted that, that is even more reckless and sad. But what LeBron didn't tell you is that the reason why Makia Bryant was shot was in response to her having a knife and attacking a defenseless young woman, and the officer had to make a decision. But LeBron, to his 50 million followers, he doxed the police officer, put the police officer's face out there, and someone in his camp must have seen that and was seeing all the backlash that quickly came in because LeBron eventually took down that tweet. But... Not until I think about 8,000 people had either liked it or retweeted it. And who knows how many thousands of people took a screenshot of that tweet and then texted it to their friends or family or posted it to another social media site. No telling how far that went. And like we were talking about earlier, 50 million followers, the influence that he has, and he was reckless. And since he took down the tweet, you'd think there'd be some remorse for that action. You'd think LeBron would issue a follow-up tweet or a statement admitting that he shouldn't have done that and that he needs to get all the information before sounding off, right? Nope. Instead, LeBron tweeted that the reason he took down the original tweet that doxed the police officer was because that tweet was being used to create hate. Not because LeBron was incorrect or made a bad choice by possibly inciting violence, as some would argue, but because LeBron believes that other people were using the tweet to, quote, create hate and more racism. Later, either that night or the next day, LeBron tweeted that anger doesn't do anyone any good, including him, and that gathering all of the facts does. And then two weeks after that, so I believe it was Monday of this week, LeBron admitted to Vox that he fueled the wrong conversation about Makia Bryant. What's that wrong conversation, you ask? The wrong conversation he's referring to is that his first tweet with the police officer focused on Makia Bryant with a knife instead of focusing on Makia Bryant as a person, which is part of the whole movement of hashtag say your name. And like I said, it's been two weeks since Makia Bryant was killed by the police officer and since LeBron sounded off to his 50 million followers and doxed the police officer. But has he issued an apology to that police officer? He hasn't publicly. All he said is that he showed the wrong kind of focus and brought the wrong kind of attention to Makia Bryant. Has he admitted that he made a mistake? He got close, but no. Nope. Hasn't even said, I made a mistake. But what he has done is he has blamed others, and he stated facts are more important, but didn't say if the facts have changed his mind, and if he feels differently, now that he's maybe, I'm assuming, hopefully, seen the tape and the other evidence that, as we all have, and he said his actions didn't focus, once again, didn't focus the story on Makia Bryant, the teenage girl. So where's the accountability for LeBron? Where are those of us and those of his 50 million followers demanding that he issues an apology, that he admits wrongdoing, 
Why is he shirking his responsibility? I'm not convinced that he's remorseful for what he did to that police officer. Some say his tweet could be considered as incitement of violence in the wake of the George Floyd trial. I don't know if there were any direct, uh, direct correlation to any violence, any kind of direct connection, but some would argue that he incited it. And if he incited violence, then he should be suspended from Twitter, right? At least for a day. But that hasn't happened either. LeBron's tweets, good or bad, influence thousands to millions of people daily. And his power and influence is one of the largest in America. And what I said earlier is on full display in this example. LeBron has tremendous amount of responsibility to choose his words and actions wisely. His influence, his power, is too large to be reckless because 50 million people have decided they want to hear from him and see what he says and does. And that's just on Twitter. I believe on Instagram he has 84 million. People have given LeBron great power and influence while also giving him great amounts of cover when he shirks the responsibility that comes with his power. Just think about that. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counterthought Podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.